0: And how many of your football fans in here? Can I see your hand? All right. How many, uh, and this is going to be very dangerous, how many Redskins fans do we have in the house? All right. Okay, a few. And I'll just, I'll stop there. Uh, I had the opportunity, um, and I thank Jonathan Sweat for bringing me to my first ever NFL game at FedEx Field this past Monday night. Did y'all see it? I was the guy wearing a coat and blue jeans. Did y'all pick that out from the crowd? and uh and so so i was there and and boy it was uh, I've been to college game before and been to a German football game but I it was so fun to experience that and and once again to have a first hand uh, picture of what alcohol does to the behavior of some people if you've ever been to a game before you know kind of how that works and uh, and it was just awesome to see people cheering for their team and you know some some smack talk between the Giants fans and the Redskins fans but I I'm a little ashamed to admit this I've been told by several people that they they would listen and just say you're not right but after the game I thought as a, as a Cowboys fan, um, I, I thought I had to do my part. You know what I'm talking about? And so, uh, as everyone is leaving, I just decided being led. I don't think it was by the Holy Spirit, I think it was by the fact that I'm not where I should be with Christ. <laughs> All right? Okay? And just on that road of progressive sanctification, just lean over the railings and uh, just started cheering. Just, yeah! because I don't want to, you know, project because it would blow the spirit. The, just going crazy. Yeah, yeah! And everybody's, you know, inebriated. They're happy. But not all. But uh, but they're just happy. And I was going like this, leaning over the railing. And I kind of leaned out for a guy and everybody was looking at me like, well, that guy's happy like us. And so I leaned over the railing like for a high five and he comes in for a high five and I say, Go Cowboys! And... I took the perfect timing. right when we had the high five he thought he was going to be in you know, old Redskins and then it, his the look on his face <laughs> it, it, it it was awesome because it went from adulation and joy and excitement to absolute confusion, like bro, I know there's a lot of people here drunk, but you're drunk and high right like that type of confusion like uh, whatever you got into man I don't want it and so and then he kind of just looked at me and I decided to to be clear and I said go Dallas Cowboys and then his face changed from happy to confused to I will murder you and then I'll burn down your house and kill your cat and your dog while I'm out. I mean, just absolute. And then I said it again. I said, "Go, Dallas Cowboys." And I don't think the guy was saved because then he told me I was number one with both hands. And so then I, then I just, I just person next to you doesn't know what that means just say it's all right it's, this is a weird church we'll you know do. and so just moved on and there were more people who heard that and just decided to cheer for the cowboys some more and then I, I did something i probably shouldn't i started cheering tony romo and if you keep up with football at all that is the hated cowboys quarterback and so not so much that i enjoy irritating people but it was so well i guess i do in one sense <laughs> be honest in the pulpit jeff um But it was so amazing to see the transformation of the people who at first I thought they thought I was cheering for them. But then to see that it was something totally different. It seemed that they went from being joyful to very, very stressed. And I... In studying for this message, I looked up some statistics on stress. And let me just give a few of those to you. This is from the American Psychological Association in New York. And it's from the American Institute of Stress. Imagine having to go to the American Institute of Stress. Sir, ma'am, are you stressed? I'm at the Stress Institute. So, number one cause of stress is job pressure. Coworker tension, bosses, or work overload. Second cause of stress... In the U.S. right now is money. Y'all alright? Coming from a loss of job, reduced retirement, and or medical expenses. Number three is health. Health crisis, a terminal, or a chronic illness. Number four, relationships, divorce, death of a spouse, arguments with friends, and loneliness. Number five, poor nutrition inadequate nutrition, caffeine, processed foods, refined sugar, what most of us eat and we're falling apart and we wonder, why am I falling apart? And the Lord says, because you don't take care of your body. Are we okay in the house of the Lord this morning? It is presumptuous for us to abuse our health and then expect God to intervene in a supernatural way when He's shown us through the Word of God and through medical science, Things not to do unless you want to have your health break down. Number six, media overload. Television, radio, internet, email, social networking. And finally, number seven, sleep deprivation. And I found this absolutely fascinating. 77% of people in the United States say that they regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress. We are living in a medicated, I would say an overly medicated society. We are living in a very stressed out society. We are living in a very anxious society. We are living in a very angry society. You cannot turn on, and, and I'm not talking about heels, hoes, and television. Alright? But you cannot turn on the television but for more than five minutes and you find that we glorify anger. Reality check. Reality TV shows. I'm not saying that you should never watch them, but I I, I enjoyed uh, watching Lizard Lick Towing when it was on. Until I I watched it for a while, and that may may prove my redneck-ishness, alright, for some of you. I I enjoyed it watching it, but then I thought, you know, I'm watching this show, and like 85% of the show is people getting angry at each other. So what, what the producers do is they come in and they exploit relationships that are going down the drain. The Word of God, as we're going to see here just a few moments from Philippians chapter 4, says to help people there in verse number 2 and 3, when they're having relational conflict, we should go in to help, not to pick sides and not to exploit. So we live in a society. Um, we went through our series on Christians and politics or Christ and culture. I have my political views on economics and, and I can listen to talk radio and agree with some and disagree with some. But if I listen to that very long, guess what I realize happens to my demeanor? I become very, very negative. Whether you are a liberal or a conservative or somewhere in between, you have to watch yourself when you are told by talking heads through the media, this is what you should think, this is how you should think, because what will happen is we who are believers in Jesus Christ who have the hope, right church? Like we actually have hope, we will become cynical. And there's not one of us that enjoys being around a cynical person. When you ask them how they, they're doing, they always have something smart I like to say. Things never go right. The world is all doom and gloom. It's just going to hell in a handbasket. And there's nothing we should do about it. But you know what they do about it? They complain about it. That will seep into your consciousness and it will produce mental Stress. The Word of God contains powerful antidotes for what often many of us experience on a daily level, and that is stress that God never meant us to handle. Now, let me be very clear. I am not saying that when you get saved, that you turn into a goofy, smiling, all the time, annoyingly cheerful weirdo. I'm not talking about you're like someone on TV that has this smile and you're thinking, did you buy that smile from Walmart or the dollar store? It just seems like plastic and fake and it doesn't seem real at all. And, and it seems like they're not, even, they're not a real person. When we read the Word of God, we find that most of the men and the women that God used most, those were the ones who experienced deep valleys. Throughout their lives. David. We think of Abraham and his journeys. We think about Peter and the apostles. About how they fell. And how the Lord raised them up again. It's not saying that we are never going to experience stress. We're never going to experience uh, being frustrated. If you're taking notes, go ahead and mark this on the top. Matthew chapter 7. When Jesus talks about the two houses, Right? One is built on the what? The, the sand, okay? And Jesus says, when the winds come, right? It's going to be destroyed. There's no foundation. But if you build it on the rock, what still comes? The storms and the winds still come. I hope this will be a news flash for all of us that Jesus never promised us a life without storms. Are you with me this morning? Jesus never said that your health is always going to be perfect, and if your health goes down, it's a lack of faith. We even saw from the book of Philippians back with Epaphroditus in chapter 2, if you want to go study that later, that Paul's good friend was to the point of death, and Paul said the only reason why he didn't die is because God had mercy on him and me. Even the Apostle Paul, with all that God had blessed him with, with gifts of healing, there were certain times and in certain situations to where he was not able to bring that about. doesn't mean that we're going to have all the time our relationships are going to fire on the right cylinders. I, we, we, we could be here all day long, but have you been to that place in your life? And you say, Lord, I'm doing everything that I can with, with my wife or with my parents and my kids, and, but it just seems like, like everybody's mad at me, like I can't do anything right, I can't get anything going, seems like nobody wants to hang out. What is going on Jesus never promised us that there would never be a storm to hit the house of our life. But what he promised to be is to be the rock that we ground our life on. And the difference is profound. I want to talk to you this morning about stress. And that here's our driving thought. It's in your notes. We're going to go through this. And by the way, if you're new here at Rocky Mount Baptist, what we do is we pick a passage of the scripture. We work through the book word by word, verse by verse, line by line. So you can see where I'm getting my stuff. Because we don't sell snake oil at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. I'm going to mention this and then move on. I think the most effective way that people learn God's Word and they rely upon God's Word as opposed to the pastor is you take the Bible as it was written in context, you explain it, you preach it, you go through it so that you guys see I'm not just pulling this stuff out of my back pocket. All right, it comes from the Word of God. Here's our driving thought. Only gospel-centered thinking patterns will provide true mental peace in the midst of life's storms. So here's, we're gonna look at a few keys how to counterattack whenever your stress hits. Okay? Number one, there in verse one. We are supposed to stand firm in the midst of bad examples. Notice what the Bible says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand what? Stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, if we were to back up, which you should do when you read the Bible, so to not take it out of context, it says there in verse number 18 of chapter 3 that there are many who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, you don't have to look far to find a bad example. Amen? And don't look around at people around you because that would mean that you think that they're a bad example. All right? So, there's no shortage of bad examples. And here's the thing, often people my age, we have this thing, like we've seen hypocrisy in the church. There's always been hypocrisy in the church. It's quiet. There has always been it, cause guess what? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said there would be hypocrites in the church. And when I talk to young people, you know, my age or whatever, and they say, man, the church just seems like it's all c- configurated, and like all, like this ordered system of rules and so forth, and, and these, these, these hypocrites and whatnot. I say, man, number one, you're exactly right. There are hypocrites in the church. Number two, you agree with Jesus that there's going to be hypocrites in the church. Y'all catch that? If you've been burned, if you've not been in church for a while, whatever, Jesus said there would be hypocrites in the church. But here's the question. Are you going to allow someone else's bad example to cause you to miss out on what God has for your life? See, it doesn't make any sense to say, well, that person is living in the wrong way, so therefore that gives me an excuse to not follow Christ. Y'all see where this is going? Often for, for people, it's just, it's just a smoke screen. That's exactly what it is. So what the Bible's saying is that when you see other people, they don't have a heart for missions. They see videos like this and they're like, honestly, I don't give a rip. I don't care. They don't care about missions. They don't want to see people saved, or they don't really care. They may come to church once in a while. They they look at God's word like they would look at an old dusty uh, book of simply like figures from the economic production of typewriters in 1902, and they're like, "You, you people, you, you, like you actually want to read that?" They don't get it. They don't want to do that. But then you get God's grace in your life. He begins to change your thinking patterns. You're like, so it's not about me. That means that, that, that me as a guy, that means that for me to be a true man, it's not seeing how much I can lift, how hard I can punch, how much money I can make, how many people I can dominate in business. But for me, becoming a true man, like not not, not just a church man, but a true biblical, real man, It means that I have to submit myself to the ultimate man, Jesus Christ, so that I take orders from Him, so that I can be like Him. I can have the courage for when I need to have the courage to stand up for what needs to be stood up for, and then I can also have His manly type of compassion and mercy instead of a cowardly, cold heart to the things of the world, like people who need to hear the gospel, children who are starving around the world. And I just want to submit to you guys that the fact that some of us, things don't bother us, that should such as the needs of the world when jesus talks about those who are without food who are without shelter who are without basic necessities but we can look at that and in a john wayne firm jawed fashion and it doesn't even bother us that is the symptoms of a hard heart and it's not okay We should bow before God and say, God, would you please give me your heart? Because you want to talk about a bad to the bone man. You look in the Old Testament. These guys went out and took names and they killed the opposing warriors. David and his mighty men. But you saw when it comes to the worship of Almighty God that they would weep and there was such a bond between them. They would hug and they would cry when, when they knew that they were going to be parted. You see, what we have in the U.S. is when we see things like stand firm, we think simply football, don't we? We think just the Rambo movies instead of Jesus who stood firm for us. So number one, we've got to stand firm in the midst of bad examples. Secondly, we need to stand firm in the midst of church conflict. Y'all all all right still? Hadn't lost you yet? Verse number two, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche, two ladies in the church who had a disagreement, to agree, how? In the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In other words, what he's saying is that these were fellow workers. If you've got a certain translation, mine says a true companion. Literally, that means a true yoke fellow. Like if you've ever seen... Uh, animals plowing fields like the oxen and they will put the yoke on both of them and they plow at the same time for the same goal. The Apostle Paul says, look these two ladies, they've had a disagreement and they've had a disagreement that is to the point, now check this out this is how, how brutally honest the gospel is the Bible when the Apostle Paul wrote this, it was going to be read aloud in the church at Philippi imagine that Let's say that we had two ladies here. Ladies, y'all ready for this? Alright. Let's say two of you get out of sorts with each other. And then all of a sudden we get a letter and we read it in front of the whole church. And it's your name and it's the other lady's name that right now, you got that thing going on. It says agree in the Lord. Because there's bigger things than our small disagreements. Disagreements. I'm just amazed, and we talked about this last week. How, how little it takes for some of us to get thrown off kilter, doesn't it? Right, y'all. Y'all heard the old thing back in the day. The church split over the color, the color of the carpet. Y'all heard that stuff. let me just be honest. I really do think the reason why most of that stuff happens, it's because of the failure of guys like me. If there is no vision for us to. Reach out to the ends of the world. To reach out to the people in Franklin County that nobody else cares about. To go and to share the gospel and to do what some of our Sunday school classes have done and and raise support for for the, the, the kids around the area that can't afford what they need because their families are not able to or their families are absent. If there's no vision to reach out, then guess what we look for? We look within. And if we look within, we find things that we don't like and that manifests itself by selfishness. Color of the carpet, way the chairs are arranged, what type of music we play. And it was interesting this morning, our sound man, you need to pray for Ben. He's got a very bad abscess tooth. He's not able to be here. We've got some new mics set up for the praise band. I said, well, we need to try it with the new mics. And if there's feedback, it's just going to go until the speakers blow. And we have those sound man back there. So I was stressing this morning, getting ready to preach a sermon on stress. So he we said, well, you know, since we don't want anybody to have bleeding eardrums or something went wrong, cause that's, y'all know, those of y'all who run sound, you know, if your sound man's back there and something goes wrong, we've got people with hearing assisted devices, and those of us who just listen to the main speakers, but that is a train wreck waiting to happen. Then you gotta have somebody running like Jason Bourne all the way back there and you can just kiss that worship service goodbye. Cause that's the only thing that people remember, bleeding eardrums and people running down the aisles, alright? Let's get back to the text. The Bible says we must stand firm in the midst of bad examples and church conflicts and let me let me say one more word here together when he says that we labored side by side look there at verse at verse number three this is a metaphor from the Roman arena the word labor can also be translated fight we fought Side by side. And just in case you didn't know, the Christian life is not a walk in the park. It is a gutter war. It is an absolute brawl without rules. The enemy respects no code of conduct, the rules of engagement, or whatever it takes to get Christians distracted from Jesus, He will hit you with everything and the kitchen sink and more, but we as believers in Jesus Christ are not alone in the battle. I love that picture. Imagine this. Imagine all of us linking arms together as the family of Jesus Christ in Rocky Mount Baptist Church, and we are able through His power to stand by each other. I love some of those old movies that, that go back in time about uh, when people fought before they had guns and how you would have soldiers standing side by side. If they come on that side, you meet them there. If they come on this side, I meet them here. And I want to let you know every single person here and the ones who are listening to the radio podcast that there is a family of faith at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Amen, church? Doesn't matter what background a person comes, they are welcome, they are loved, and through Jesus Christ, guess what? He's able to help us be friends with people before Jesus we would never be friends with. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Imagine how awesome it would be being in the church hearing this read. And you look over and you see a retired Roman general. Philippi was a retired, retirement community for the military. Then you would look over here and you would see, you would see a slave. Someone who had not even been given their freedom. You would look over here and in the same group, you would see a woman in the same meeting with men. didn't happen. Women couldn't even testify in a Jewish court in that day. And you would see what you would never see outside of that in Roman society. Love for people who are not like you. I think for 2013, one of the best goals that you could make for your life is to invest in someone for the gospel who is not like you. Y'all all right? Not only that in verse 4, but to rejoice in who God is. Notice what it says. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. We rejoice, we gain gladness in that. How many of you remember when you were playing sports as a little kid? I remember playing, uh, we called it bitty ball in Louisiana, when they would lower the goals down to about 8 foot. Eight and a half foot. And after we would play those games, we won a couple of playoff games. Almost went all the way. And how you remember how it was, right? Playing in a little league game. And when you won that game, when you won the playoff game, everybody's jumping around. I remember my brother playing high school basketball. They won a very important playoff game. And it was just one of those games where the tension builds up. You know what I'm talking about. And it just gets it gets I mean just the, the atmosphere is electrifying in there, and then once the buzzer went off, you know they won and everybody's jumping around. one of the guys on the team was named Justin, His dad was as laid back as you can get. you know what you know what I mean by a laid back man I mean they they 're just even keel all the time, they could be on the edge of the tsunami about to hit Well, I think it's about to get bad right like that that just, just calm man, and he jumped up out of his seat and he jumped up on the pile and he was doing this with them you know just just an absolute joy and then he kind of realized what he was doing and then he awkwardly got control of himself and went back and sat down if you like awkward humor this was like the apex of it it was it was awesome but we gain joy by what we value we realize that don't we we gain joy we rejoice in what we value and I pray that for every single one of us here that we would value Christ above all else. Not only that, but we have to remember in verse 5 as well, as well, it says that the Lord is at hand. We understand that the Lord has not left us. Donald Whitney in his book, *Disciplines: Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he says you never stop when you're going through a desert. Maybe some of you were in a desert this morning. You say, I don't know how much further I can go. Lord, I'm just here uh, because everything else is falling apart. I need to hear from you. Don't give up in the desert because you may almost be across. Amen, church? You don't give up. You continue to follow Jesus Christ. So, you say, Jeff, how would these truths actually affect how we live? We know that that's what the Word says, but how does this kind of where the rubber meets the road? Number one... Mental stress and gospel thinking patterns should affect us by how we treat people gently. Notice verse 5 versus fits of anger. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word reasonableness means not insisting on every right of letter, of law, or of custom. Yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, and tolerant. It means that when someone doesn't do what they should in your heart, in your mind, you say, man, this person's a jerk. They should be acting this way. They're acting totally different. They should have respected me. They disrespected me. But, take a step to the side. What had I done to Christ all of those years until I got saved? Y'all thinking about that with me? You thinking about that? What did we do? What was the product of our life compared to Christ all of those years before we were saved, before we came to that point of just giving Him our lives. And guess what that will do? That will say, Lord, if it were not for Your grace in my life, I would have been in hell a long time ago. I'm not any better than anybody else. And yes, they're they're sinning. Yes, they have not done what they should. But God, help me to give them grace because You gave me grace. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I don't want to be that guy in the Bible, who was forgiven all those millions of dollars. Remember that? All those talents upon talents. And and then the king forgave him. And then, I don't want to be that guy who is forgiven to go out and find the guy who owes me that 20 to $50 of respect and take him by the throat and begin to say, pay me what you owe me. You know what that means? Is that whenever we respond angrily to people, when we respond how they respond to us, what we're showing is that in that moment, we do not understand grace. And even take it a step further. What we're showing people when we respond, if they're showing their rear end and we show ours, that's just putting it out there. When they're acting ugly and we act the same way, what we're saying is that we don't understand grace. And furthermore, if God gave us, if God responded to us in the same way that we responded to Him, guess what all of us would get? We would get His unmitigated wrath and judgment and every single person would suffer that and end up in hell. All of us. No exceptions. From here, all the way to the back wall, all the way every part of the room. So the Bible says, when you're dealing with this anxiety, biblical word for what we call stress... It says, let your reasonable be known to everyone for the Lord is at hand, which means that the Lord is near, which means that God will not allow you to be tempted, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, beyond what you're able. You say, Jeff, but this person is driving me nuts. And I've been married to him for 15 years. I'm <laughs> kidding. Bible. Bible. The Lord is at hand. Which points number one, theologically, to the coming of Jesus Christ, which is imminent. Jesus could return at any moment, but it means that the Lord is with you. So here's the really cool part, but you gotta kinda, kinda gut through the gristle here, is that if you have that person in your life who seems to be your thorn in the flesh, That customer or that boss or that family member. And it seems like every time they come around, the stress levels begin to rise just like the national debt. In other words, pretty doggone fast. Alright? So, you've got that. You say, Lord... Okay, if you are sovereign... Now, what we mean by sovereign is that God is in absolute and complete control of everything. That means that, and I believe this, that there are no accidents with God. He has a plan in everything. And if you love Him and if you follow Him, He has a plan for that to work out for your good. So what you should say is, Lord, this is difficult for me to deal with this person without getting stressed to the point that I go on unnecessary medication. What we should say is, Lord, You're in control. You're allowing the situation to continue. What do you want to teach me about your character through this situation? C.S. Lewis said this, Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. Being controlled by emotions as opposed to being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6 verse 34. He says, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day, is its own trouble. So in other words, what the Lord is calling us to do is to turn against anxiety through our thinking patterns. Notice verse number 6. You say, Jeff, how can I actually obey this command not to be anxious about anything? Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but here's how you do it. By prayer in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So in other words, not only surrender your heart to Jesus, but your thinking patterns as well. For example, when you come into conflict with difficult people, say, Jesus, how did you deal with difficult people? How did you deal? Some people say, Jeff, it's not the difficult people, just being honest, it's the stupid people I can't stand. Do we have any honest people in the house? Say difficult fine. Stupid drives me crazy. I mean, Jeff, what I want to do is go and get a pack of signs, right, like Jeff Foxworthy, and whenever somebody reveals their stupidity, say, here's your sign. I know we got some rednecks in the house. All right? You say, Jeff, that's what makes me... I, I, can't, I can't handle it. Once again, realize your blindness before Christ and how he dealt with your, if we can say this, your spiritual stupidity until he came on that day and took off the blinders and you saw Jesus as being not just something that people talk about at church, but a living Savior who is worthy of everything that you could ever give him. See, that's the, that, that's the difference. See, Jeff, what do, what do you mean when saying when anxiety hits for me to start praising the Lord? When you feel anxiety, this is in your notes, rising proactively, before the tidal wave hits the wall of the fort of your life, proactively praise God for what he has, fill in the blank, already done for you. Because when you, and this is a sound psychological principle, when you begin to praise God for what he has done for you, for your family already, What it does is it redirects your attention from this cause of stress to Jesus who helps people with their stress. When you begin to feel stressed about people, say, "Lord, I thank you. This person is driving me nuts. This situation is driving me nuts. Lord, I thank you for salvation. I thank you for the fact that you have given me a bed to sleep in, or a a, a a a a cot to sleep on, or a sleeping bag. Lord, I thank you that last night I had a roof over my head. Lord, I thank you for my family. God, I thank you that I even know about you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my health, that I can even make these thought processes. Lord, I thank you for for the fact that I have clothes on my back. God, I thank you for the fact that I was." able to brush my teeth. I thank You, Lord, that I have teeth. Or Lord, I thank You for those teeth that were pulled that I'm glad they're no longer there. Amen, church? Right. Seriously, it may seem weird. It may seem weird. But once you begin to praise the Lord and fill in those slots that all of that nasty... Anxiety and stress can seep into when you fill that with praising God for the quote-unquote little things that he's done. I mean, even get down and dirty. Lord, I thank you for my dog. I thank you that my dog's not like my neighbor's dog. I mean, everything that the Lord has given you and done for you, what you're doing is you're being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're obedient, what you will find is that your mind will be redirected to Jesus And Jesus brings, notice what the Bible says. It says there in verse number 6, it says, let your request be made known to God. And help me out church, verse 7, and what? The peace of God, which surpasses, it blows it away. All understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, here's what we do. We say, Lord... You promise in your word that if I praise you, instead of automatically stressing that you will guard my heart and my mind. You know, you'll realize the promise that we just read in the Bible. The God of the universe promised to guard the sanctity and the health of your mind. If you will simply praise him when you begin to feel these feelings that often push us into unnecessary medication. Let me say a word about this. So, Jeff, do you believe that God can use medication? Yes, We are not simply spirit. We are not simply a soul. We also have a body. But, I would caution you against the cultural presupposition that we have, and this is going to get me in trouble. Most of what we medicate today, we do it based upon a Freudian presupposition that we are simply higher animals. That means that there is no real thing such as the conscience. It means that sin is simply modified behavior. And if that is your criteria for medication, then you will probably simply be medicating something that's not the ultimate cause. You see, Jeff, it almost sounds like you're saying no medication. No, I think that God can use it in some situations because we have a body. Sometimes there are chemical imbalances, but I would caution you against the knee-jerk reaction to medicate people instead of talk to people. It is so awkward. So awkwardly cried in here right now. Because here's the thing. If we are what the Bible says we are, and we have a body and a soul, often what happens is that there's past regret, there's past bitterness, there is all sorts of issues that need to be dealt with and simply, instead of simply putting a band-aid on it. What's the Bible say to do next and finally? In verse number 8, he says finally. And I love this, the Apostle Paul. He says finally in verse 8 and doesn't close it up until verse 23. Amen? Alright? He says finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So in other words, think about Jesus. Think about His Word. Fill your mind with God's truth and it will transform your attitude and your heart. We talked about this in Sunday school. Imagine if I had a sponge here and you, and you bunch that sponge up and uh, some of you guys need to go home and do honeydews sometime this week, right? Ladies? Now ladies in the house said, Amen. All right. Amen. Is so he going to get mad at me later on? You got that sponge, guys. You're about to do that cleaning and you, you, you bunch it up tightly in your hand and you plunge it into a five-gallon bucket of water, soapy water. Now, Is any of the water being absorbed by that sponge? Maybe a little. But until you release that sponge for it to expand and suck in all of that water, all that moisture, it's not going to get anything. That's the heart in relation to God's Word and even coming to church. Can I be honest? Hopefully I've been honest this whole sermon. Let me be honest. If we come and we hear sermons that we like, music that we like, or sermons that we don't like and music that we don't like, And we come to it just for informational purposes alone. And we've got our hearts so closed up in the things that we think are important that Jesus said are really not. We may get a little bit out of it once in a while. But coming to the issue of mental stress and gospel thinking patterns, what the Lord is asking us to do is to, for Him, release, say, Lord Jesus, I want Your Word to come in and fill my thinking patterns the way I deal with people, the way that I think about money, the way that I think about life in general. And when you release that sponge and the life-giving water of the Holy Spirit leading us comes in, you'll be an absolutely changed person to where you can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding.